0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Thomas Suarez, co-founder and CEO of InterAI. In this episode, we talked about InterAI's mission to bring consumer technology to enterprise companies and how they use visual data mapping to bring together an organization's legacy tools without a single integration. Toma then explains the process B2C enterprise companies need to take in order to achieve a 360-degree customer view, the problems they may face, and ultimately how it impacts retention. Finally, we discussed how customer service can shift from being a cost center to a profit driver. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. In the door. This is churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth.
1: How do you build a habit forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn.
0: You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement.
1: Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing.
0: Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode.
1: Hey, Toma. Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew. Great to be here. Thank you so much for hosting me.
0: It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Toma is the co-founder and CEO of InterAI, helping you turn your billing, ops, admin, and back office systems into apps inside your CRM in just days without any APIs or integrations needed. Thomas started his career as an investor and special projects manager for the Israeli Ministry of Defense before founding Peach Education. So my first question for you, Tom, is what does an investor and special projects manager work on for the Israeli Ministry of Defense? That's a great
1: question, actually. So basically, the Ministry of Defense, like many other um, enterprise companies, understood that they need to start doing innovation exists outside of the Ministry of Defense. It exists within startups and academic research. And basically, they took me to lead the innovation center, which means that I had to take all the challenges that existed in the Ministry of Defense, uh, technological challenges, and find innovative solutions within startups and academic research outside of the, of the Ministry of Defense, and invest money into those, basically ventures, and bring them in. So I had the privilege to invest money and in lead projects with amazing startup companies doing crazy innovation, the world of brain science and microbiology and very cool sci fi projects brought them into the Ministry of Defense and bring the innovation. So that was
0: that. Very cool. I can imagine uh, some exciting and interesting work uh, <sighs> being done in those fields. Exactly. Cool. So, fast forward to today, talk us through a little bit more about InterAI. What is it that the company actually does? And yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Basically, InterAI's first mission was to bring consumer technology to the enterprise, and especially to where uh, the enterprise is meeting their consumers. So in the world of customer service and sales, we saw how uh, crazy it is that for me as a consumer of a bank, I have all these self-serve tools. If I need to ask for a loan or uh, change something in the app, it's so easy for me to do it. But when I'm actually calling the customer service of the bank, the rep on the other side is using all these Uh, Legacy systems, juggling all these systems to basically try to help me as a customer. When we started investigating, we saw that whereas you have all these amazing CRM tools that consolidate all the interactions with the customer, all the operational aspects of the customer, like their billing, their transactions, their purchases, their subscriptions, their services, their orders, their shipments, you name it, depends on the business, all of this information exists in back office, admin systems op systems that sometimes are very legacy systems built in a homegrown manner or by some system integrators and are not connected to the CRM. That's why the rep on the other side of the the phone, they need to open the CRM, see my profile, but then juggle all these other systems to get a full view of who am I as a customer. And today, when you think about uh, enterprise companies, when you want to change your systems, it's usually an IT and business project altogether. So You put the the money and effort to migrate systems and whatever that would be and integrate the systems. And then in three years or five years, the business gets a new system, the IT has new infrastructure, everyone's happy. We thought this coupling, doesn't have to be the reality. We should decouple that and we should enable business units to keep the infrastructure as it is, but build their desired system on top of the existing infrastructure. So if they wanna create this single customer view and all the business logic and retention and upsell policies of a customer, they can do it in this new application layer on top. And so the intro AI, basically product, is to enable business units and customer service and sales to build this new customer-centric app on top of their existing infrastructure without any integration APIs. That's just techy words for no IT or R&D involvement and influence. Nice.
0: Um how are you making that possible without any integrations or IT environments um, interested?
1: So when we started thinking about that, um, we said, what? So all these systems, all these back office and op systems, as I mentioned, are not uniform. Like you go to bank A and bank B, and it's going to be two different systems or three different systems, because usually it's homegrown, etc. So we said integrations is not possible to use. So what is common to all these applications? And the answer was very naive. They are all human readable. They have a user interface. And that's when we started asking if humans, now write the reps, are using those systems, we and write from them, why can't a computer? So we've built a technology called visual data mapping, uh, meaning we're using uh, computer vision. We actually use image processing to look at the existing user interface of those systems and understand the structure and the schema, the labels, the form, the tables, and then we enable our buyers, to basically map the data from and to those systems, just based on how the user interface looks like. That's applicable to any system, works without prior knowledge, and it's a patented technology in the US.
0: That sounds very cool. And it's definitely uh, an approach I haven't heard of before, but it makes a total lot of sense as well, as that you can typically see... The information architecture of any app by just looking at the ui and then being able to map that back into sort of what the tables and databases look like and then on the other end how would the how does the mapping work though because i still don't understand like if there's no integrations so i get that you can um basically get the model but how are you then making sure data is getting into that uh, database or the schema that you're defining yeah
1: perfect question so it's a what we call a human supervised process so let's say a company wants to use InterAI to build a customer 360. Again, all the transactions and shipments and orders. So what they do is they basically upload the screenshots or some recording of the existing systems. The InterAI engine is extracting the schema. And then in a human pro- supervised way, the person is basically building their 360 view by saying, I want this data point and this data point. And again, just describing the business logic around it. So in a very low code, no code manner to build, and that basically you know, ensures that it's just going to work. There's no guesswork. The automatic part is the mapping, but then they can build whatever they want with those data properties. Let's call them that way.
0: Yeah. But you still need to integrate them to the source itself of where the data is coming from. The integration
1: is not really to the source because we again read and write from and to the, the UI of the systems. And that translates to the database
0: behind so, it. so they never really ever need to replace the existing legacy systems all right very interesting exactly not
1: replacing not storing data
0: cool nice before the show we, we had a quick discussion and you mentioned as well like through this process yourself you've been doing a lot of research when it comes to what creating a good customer experience means for some of these businesses and how that impacts like churn and retention So I'm keen to dive into this a little bit deeper. What has been your process like going out over the last few years, building out into AI and what have been some of the big learnings that you've been seeing in the market?
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. Happy to share. So as I mentioned also before, uh, we started the interview. I came from consumer technology. My first venture was in education tech. And I had my experience of building a consumer company. Uh, We've actually built tools for uh, charter schools that was booming in the US in 2016. And then we started figuring out how do you reserve, how do you preserve customers, how do you retain customers, how do you increase their lifetime value, how do you give good support. So we had to basically to, to handle and, and deal with all those challenges. Eventually, our education venture did not work out. Part of it we sold, part of it we closed. That was just a very difficult market. But then we, it was very obvious for us. That the next thing we're, we're going to do is. From the perspective of consumer technology and consumer experience we want to bring this to the enterprise and we want to bring those consumer like experiences to where enterprises meet their consumers that was basically how we started talking to customer service and sales teams and then when we started doing that we saw that basically customer service is at the heart of great customer experience at the heart of retention Eventually, after you sign a customer most of their interaction with the company especially the human interaction, is via the customer service. And it's, it's easy to say, especially on this podcast, that retention is king and you see everyone moving to focusing on lifetime value, on subscription. Everyone understands that acquiring a customer is much more expensive than retaining a new one. But we had the, the privilege of seeing how this evolution looks like from, let's say, behind the scenes, from the systems perspective. And basically what I wanted to share is... is how we segmented the market by working with dozens of customers, both uh, legacy, you know, giant telecos and banks in the U.S., but also very modern companies, tech-enabled, e-commerce, very cool companies, of how that process looks like because it's similar between uh, those companies. And so what happens is that on day one of customer interaction, it's only customer support. It's very cost it's a, it's a cost center, very efficiency focused, only killing tickets, one size fits all. If I reach out, I ask for a refund. If you reach out, I ask for a refund. We both get the same treatment. That's day one, basic support. They don't really know who they talk to. And you feel like it's on a personalized experience. That was back in the days. Many companies are still in, in day one. But when companies start to basically move from day one, it's that when they start to optimize their costs and start to focus on their customer satisfaction. And this is what we call day two. It's not customer support. It's more customer care. It's more segmented support, more expert support. And the last thing after you have this already up and running, you basically move to day three. And day three is pure customer experience. It's knowing the customer and it's making every interaction a value interaction, which means you're not just solving Something for the customer, like in day one. It, and it's not only means that you solve it in a particular way to the customer, like in day two. And by that, I mean that in day two, when you have this customer notion, I'll talk about it in a moment, and you can say, Andrew gets a refund policy A, Tomer gets a refund policy B, because there are different customers. So it's not only these two things, but also you can add value in a way that, for example, in, during the interaction, you can prevent the next contact. Let's say I'm calling my bank and I'm asking about a transaction. Regardless of that, the agent can tell me, hey, you know what? You're going to uh, basically hit your credit limit in two weeks to you want to extend that. So that's added value to me as a customer. Um, and it's preventing my next content. This is one example. Second example for value is upsell and cross-sell. If I'm buying glasses um, from an online glasses company and they can basically recommend that with glasses I can get contact lenses at a good price. Or maybe better, I'm calling for glasses and they tell me your lenses, your conic lessons stock is about to finish because you bought the last one six months ago. So that's basically more value to them, but also more value to them. And third is really more around product education, product adoption. If I can do more with the products I bought or have and I'm not using it the right way and they can recommend me on how to do it and get more value, then adoption is increasing, but I'm also getting more value. So that's day three of pure value ed. So this is really how we we look at the market from day one to day three, from pure support to care to experience. Now, the backbone of it, when you think about the systems, works also as follows. In day one, you have, again, basic CRM, and you have all these ops systems all around. Um, And it's really hard to build a customer view. It's really hard to know who this customer is because their data is scattered all around. I guess I'm not going to surprise you if I will say that in some systems, they have your profile up under your email. In another system, it's under your phone number. These two are not connected. So profiles exist everywhere. And in order to move from day one to day two, you need to build this customer notion. You need to be able to bring all the information about the customer, even if the identifiers vary, into one place. So you, when you pick up the phone or when you enter the chat, you know who this customer is. So this is really the prerequisite to get from day one to, to day two.
0: And after you have
1: that in day two, you can start segmenting your customers. So you can bring, as I mentioned, more expert, more segmented type of support, because you can segment your customers. High LTV, low LTV, power user, not power user. And again, the last part is on, on top of viewing the customer, segmenting the customer, is also understanding what can be an added value to the customer. And this is basically how we, we look at that. But the systems problem and the IT dependency is a big part of why companies are not able to move from day one to day three, are not able to give service that is much more personalized, much more tailored. And to me, this is basically how you retain customers, by giving them service that is highest quality and also very personalized. And there are all these researchers that I can quote on how customers with a great experience willing to spend more, retaining more. So this is a high level, how we we see the market.
0: Yeah, and I don't think there's any need to quote any studies on why retention is good for your business. I think it's good for the business. But yeah, let's talk about that a level deeper as well. So essentially what you're alluding to here is that most companies, especially like we're talking specifically in this case today about B2C enterprise companies, they... Um, In order for them to offer a better service to their customers, to ultimately increase retention, they're locked into these old legacy systems uh, where data is scattered all over the place. In the first instance, so they don't have a good picture of the customer. Uh, The next phase, they manage to somehow bring things together. They're getting a slightly better picture. And then the final phase is really once they're able to start segmenting and getting a greater understanding of who this customer is to offer a differentiated experience for them. Let's talk a little bit about the process of moving from one. You're a company, you've got legacy systems uh, all over the place, and you want to start to bring together this 360 view so you can have an understanding of who you're speaking to on the other line or how you're servicing them better what are some of the steps you're seeing organizations take to get there? What are some of the hurdles that you're seeing or blockers that are stopping them from actually getting to that point?
1: Yeah, and you've articulated uh, this uh, very well. Basically, today there is a rush to customer 360. Everyone talks about that, especially in consumer companies. And the traditional way to do it is to start from the ground up. Is saying, let's take all of our systems. Some we need to migrate, some we need to replace, We need to basically build a system on top of it that speaks in a data model that works with each and every one of those systems and can consume all this information in the data integration level to build this uh, customer view. Uh, So you build a new data model, you do it in a very deep data integration level. This is a classic IT project. The issue with that is that it can take a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of effort to do. It's usually a very much of a waterfall approach, a waterfall project, uh, because only after a few years, you get to see the results of what you did. Just because a customer view is all or nothing, if I need to, if I have, you know, 5,000 service agents, that's not a lot. The large banks have dozens of thousands Mm -hmm. and they're using 20 systems to basically handle customer requests and talk to customers. If I want to introduce something new, this customer view, it's not enough to cover, to cover just two systems out of it or three systems out of it. It's an all or nothing. So it's a very much of a waterfall approach. And so customers, they start these large integration projects. Usually, sometimes it can be like a product, like a Salesforce 360, but you need to work with some system integrator, like an Accenture or any one of those giants to actually do all the integration and customization work. But just modeling all the different customer profile segments and building a model that talks to all to each and every one of those underlying systems. And actually building it takes a lot of time. So what happens unfortunately in many cases, and we saw it with some of our largest clients, ones that already started a Salesforce project of this kind. After four or five years, the project either dies just because people the people change. There's no budget anymore. Things are way be, 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 uh, behind the timeline. Or they end up with just yet another system. So there is a customer 360, not really, a quasi 360 that the reps are using in addition to all the other systems that they still need to use. Or they move from one vendor like Salesforce to another vendor, like Microsoft Dynamics. But the traditional way of doing it, makes it impossibly hard for enterprise companies to actually achieve this single customer. Because, again, the way they look at it is from the ground up. They want to do it from scratch. It has to work in all of the stack, from data integration to, again, user interface. And that's, I think, it's a long shot. So that's what we see in the market today when it comes to traditional ways of doing it.
0: Yeah, I think as well, like this is why companies like segments uh, have been so successful in their own right as well, because they enable some of the complexity, like reduction, and allow you to bring in various tools. I see them playing in the same spaces that what you're trying to do. Like in your case, you're like sort of the no code version that allows anyone in the team to do these things where segment is it still reduces a lot of the overhead and complexities of integrating multiple systems into one and allows you to get there a lot faster but i see like you are servicing different markets in the one sense segment
1: is a phenomenal company and they kind of pioneered the cdp the customer data platform but they're touching the customer 360 from the marketing perspective. So they're bringing all they call it the quality attributes, the multi-touch attributes you have with a customer to one place. And what I'm talking about is more from the internal uh, systems, internal processes of the company. For example, that manifests in customer service where, you know, for a bank, so they can use segment to bring all the information about the customer from how they to talk to their chatbot and how they use their website and their mobile app. So all these kind of analytics tools and, and, and communication tools and all the channels, they can bring all of it into segments. And Then they can create a lot of data on the customer and an, an amazing view of the customer. But still all the information, maybe I'll take an insurance company example, the policies you've purchased maybe 10 years ago or more or five years ago, all your different family members, the services you're eligible to, all of those things that exist in those back office, internal systems, this is gold that is really hard to mine. And in at and, and AT&T, for example, just to give a sense, at and has 4,000 systems. JP Morgan has 7,000 systems. The majority of those are those ops and admin systems for all their kind of a subject matter, like phone, TV, loans, credit cards, all the subject matter services and products of the company. And this is something that is really hard to to unlock. But if you unlock it, there is amazing potential in it. So it's like the segment from the internal.
0: Yeah. Uh, And that's super interesting. And it's like, it's clearer to me as well, where it fits in after that is that you can really have them working together as well at the same time. It's not necessarily one or the other. uh, It just becomes a new source. Cool. So these are some of the blockers we mentioned getting from step one to step two. What do you see some of the companies doing well once they're graduating from step two to step three? What are some of the interesting things that you've seen customers do when it comes to uh, creating better customer experiences and ultimately like retaining customers?
1: Yeah. Uh, So what's interesting about that, and it will sound like a cliche, is that when you move from day two to day three, you actually get to an amazing win-win situation. Because by creating this amazing customer experience where you know who the customer you're talking to, and you have personalized policies for this customer and you can add value in every interaction of the customer, then you're obviously uh, increasing retention and LTV. And we have examples uh, of some clients of ours that reduce churn by 50% uh, by moving from day one to day three. But also what happens inside the company is even more interesting, the customer service uh, departments, which again, started as a cost center, very low on resources. I don't know you know, if you saw it ever from an inside of the company, but it always gets some, the lowest priority. That's by the way, also the reason why it's so hard to, to innovate and deploy changes to the system, because it's really hard to get the R&D roadmap to insert some of the customer service things, because again, always lowest priority. So what happens is that in day three, customer service becomes... From a a cost center, it becomes a profit center. And it becomes part of the revenue generation engine of the company. And they get more resources. And then you can invest more into customer experience. And you create an amazing flywheel of how you increase CX, but also increase revenue. And then you become Zappos or Amazon or all these amazing companies that bring amazing customer experience. But it's a win-win. They get more money. They have more LTV. So they can get more money from their customers, invest into CX. And the flywheel just becomes super interesting and exponentially growth. And I think that's what we've seen
0: in day three. Um, we discussed this topic as well previously with Mariah Hay from Help HelpScout. And I think they like, coined the term at some point was support-driven growth, where essentially you have what's typically seen as a cost center, like you say, now becomes a, a center for growth where, you, as you were talking about previously, like being able to drive up sales and like, hey, you're calling in to buy, purchase glasses, but we have your subscription. Here. And um, that's one aspect like driving sales. But the other thing is also uh, enrolling people into new use cases and pointing them towards features that they may have not been used. And having that ability and having that view really allows you to do something like this. And I think it, it does become extremely powerful. And the same thing applies the, even in the customer success space is that the, typically like these two. Teams within a company are seen as cost centers, but really, when you can give them the tools and the data they need to effectively do their jobs, they can really become like growth engines for the business, and they should be from really from day one. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and mentioning customer success, I think that B two B is much more advanced than B two C, in the in the sense that when B two B changed the terminology and called it customer success, everything changed. They got more budget, more resources, and they are really associated with. The team that brings more revenue from existing customers and I think that in consumer we're just moving there so in customer success you have health health scores for customers and all these tools for retention and and preventing churn and in consumer I think it's just the beginning of it because consumer used to be a mass operation to handle customer requests very simple, very straightforward cost center. And now I think companies are doing this transition to looking at customer service or support eventually as customer success, because a consumer can also be uh, a customer you can make more successful, and you can get more from their lifetime value to the company. So I think B2B is more advanced than B2C, when you think about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I see that in uh, most of my interactions with B2C uh, companies and banks specifically. That is just not where it needs to be when it comes to some of the experiences that are being delivered in B2B. Cool. I see we're running up on time. I want to make sure I have time for a couple of questions to ask every guest. Um, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario that you join a new company and churn retention is not doing great at this company. And the CEO comes to you and says, Hey, Toma, like you're in charge. You need to turn things around. We need to do it fast. You have 90 days. What do you do? but the caveat is you're not going to tell me that I'm going to go and speak to customers and understand the biggest pain points and start there. You're going to choose something that you've seen ineffective in the past and run with that as a playbook blindly. What would you pick?
1: So I think the two things that I'm going to look at is obviously the systems is how service agents, what are they using uh, the systems? How are they basically handling the customer interactions and the second thing, I want to look at the company's policies. And what I, wanted to, what I want to see in those two things is, again, how personalized is the customer experience? In the systems, how, how well is the notion of the customer we have? And how tailored are the policies per customer segment? And what, then what I will try to do, I will try to segment the customers, both in the systems and in the policies. Very quickly, customers, when calling us, will feel like they're getting a much more personalized experience to them that's what i would do if i had 90 days i would focus on personalizing uh, and giving the right tools for the agents again systems wise and policies wise to be able to to do
0: that to provide a better service nice what's one thing that you know today about channel retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career
1: so it's funny but when I started this company although it sounds some trivial I was very much focused on acquiring new customers versus investing more into my current ones I thought it's, it makes more sense to show growth in new customers and that's a good health metric for the business but soon I realized it's not the case and I felt myself how easy and necessary it is to invest more into your current customers and to expand them and to make them happy and retained. It's just a whole different strategy for a business. When your customers are really attached to you, it makes all the difference. And it helped me in various aspects, in front of investors, in front of other customers, in, internally in the company. So although I can quote the research, I had to feel it myself to, to see the power of it.
0: it. Yeah, for sure. I think this is definitely uh, a very big topic that comes up time and time again. It's like early stage startup, we typically have an overemphasis to focus on growth. And uh, at some point, like it uh, knocks you in the shoulder and says, Hey, you really need to start focusing on your attention. Some companies focus on it way too late. Others oh. that realize how important it is, like manage. I would standpoint. say
1: all of them, but yeah, yeah.
0: for sure. It's been a pleasure chatting today, Tom. Is there any sort of final thoughts uh, you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of uh, from your side?
1: Yeah. First of all, it was also my pleasure. And thank you so much for hosting me. I wanted to uh, leave the listeners with three quick tips. You know, we're approaching the end of uh, 2021 or the beginning of 2022. And I think everyone, everyone's building their CX strategy for next year. And again, CX to me is the enabler for retention. I want to offer these kind of three quick tips just to kind of summarize what I said. Is The first one, I want companies to push to really build this kind of a customer notion, this single customer notion that every agent has that in problem, the bottom of their hands. Not talk about that, not have it in you know five-year-old net, but actually build this uh, customer 360 notion. The second is to leverage data to find a way to personalize and maximize the value from every interaction. So again, build those segmentation and policies around customer types uh, to give more holistic service. And three is to tell all the business listeners of ours to not let the other systems to get in their way. There's a lot of tools today, low-code, no-code, Jira, one of them, to basically keep your existing infrastructure, but build on top of it. So you can get to your KPIs in a much more agile and fast way without competing on technology attention. And I want eventually to say that you need to remember that your CX is as good as your operations and they are as good as your systems. So I would start there. This is what I want to leave the last listeners with these thoughts.
0: Yeah, very nice summary there. And obviously we'll definitely make sure to leave in the show notes links to InterAI and any other thing we mentioned today. But yeah, Tom, it's been a pleasure chatting today. And thanks so much for sharing the learnings that you've had so far and wish you best of luck now going forward. Thanks a lot, Andrew. My pleasure.